This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. I don't know if you noticed that I, uh, Pastor Bernie's picture was in there and, and this time, and you didn't know yet that I recruited him again already, right, Bernie? No? Oh, okay. But I wanted to stick in there. I inserted the pictures so that, you know, people could see where you were helping us out, ministering, blessing our people there. Um, when Pastor was down, we were doing AFCM Family Reunion for the people who don't live up and down the Napo River. The other one where we go this this season in, in September, October, is with the people, the churches that we have up and down the Napo River in that area. We have other ones that are from Iquitos the other way, down south, down south in Peru, and they were the ones that were there during that season. And we had a great time. Thank God, thank God that it started the Sunday after we finished. Amen? Because all of us would have been like, okay, now where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? How do we talk about this, this and that and the other? But the day after we were done... We had distributed 15 Bible schools, uh, ITC TVs with thumb drives for them to start Bible schools. And uh, anyway, uh, God has his right timing, even if we can't see sometimes what's going on. Uh, it was such a blessing, Pastor, to have you. And uh, we were as concerned as you to how to, to get you back home to your family and all of that. And... The option was, one of the options was to send him to Lima because we could have gotten him on a flight from Iquitos to Lima, but we didn't know whether the Lima to United States flight was going to work, and then he would be in, in a hotel or something in Lima by himself, not speaking English and speaking only Spanish there. And not my, my son-in-law was in Lima. They got back from the United States and were in Lima, and my, son, my son-in-law and daughter and they were able to connect with my, my our son and to get together. And they had a, a under the circumstances, a, a great time, you know, in there. But they weren't able to get across town either. The pastor would have been in an airport near the, in a hotel near the airport and nobody to talk to. Nobody, it would, no, so we chose, it would be better if you stayed. The Lord will provide a way to get you out. And I understand that your family, I mean, you guys were right on top of it because we didn't really have to do a whole lot. Thank you, Julie. Have we met Julie? Okay. So you guys were on the Internet all the time and and working and getting those details figured out and getting those uh, special flights and things. that. And uh, we were there with our grandkids, and we were going nowhere until our daughter and son-in-law came home from Lima to Iquitos. So, um, anyway, when, it, when our time was, they told us there weren't any flights, and then enough people called in, I guess, and they decided that they were going to make flights for us, too. So, we did make it four and a half months later. But God is good, again, because we made it out in time. To fly, uh, to get here and go to see our grandchild born in El Paso, Texas. Amen? So, what a privilege it was to have you, Pastor. Thank you for doing that. I know it wasn't the right circumstances. 
right now, all of us are, you know, kind of in that world, kind of in that moment of, I guess it's not a moment anymore, uh, if you can call a moment into a year or whatever. We're in that time where we really don't know where we're going to be next exactly. And we have been in that for a while, knowing when we're going to get back to Peru. It's been over a year now. We were going to go back at the end of April. We had tickets for that and uh, actually beat out the year thing and go back and see our grandkids and our kids and whatnot and our churches. And we had to go to to Honduras. And you saw the fact that we had just gotten back from Honduras. And God is good once again. We What the enemy meant for evil, God has meant for good. Amen? I just want to read this one verse and then I'm going to share some more about what we do and where we came from. Maybe not in that order exactly. Um, this is a verse you all know very well. Um, Jeremiah 29.11 We know it really well. I think that it's really important that we remember that even if we don't know what plans the Lord has, that He does. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And other versions say plans. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of the evil. To give you a future and a hope. A hopeful future, a lot of good things. He has a good future for us no matter what everything else looks like. And we have to stand on that because we don't know what everything else looks like a lot of times. Um, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. So, you know, this is a season, this is a season that we don't know what the future holds exactly or how it's going to work out, how it's going to play out. But we do know who holds the future. Amen. And we know um, that that is uh, for, is this for me here? I'm all mixed up. We'll do that again here in a second, probably. Um, so, so that you get to know us just a little bit, my mom and dad uh, were called to go to Mission Field back in 1940s sometime. They lived in California, up in Reedley, near Fresno, in that area. My dad was working on the farm, doing all kinds of things, and he was also teaching Sunday school, a good Christian boy, teaching Sunday school, helping out in church, doing a lot of things. And somebody came and told him from, from L.A., they went up there, and they were going to do a a promotional thing, a, a dinner, Wycliffe, Wycliffe Bible Translators were going to go do a thing. And a friend of my dad's said, uh, Wes, you should go because I think you would do great on the mission field and doing the linguistics thing. And dad says, no. I'm not going to go because uh, if I go, God will call me and I'll go. And he wanted to be a farmer. He wanted to farm up there in the fruit basket. So um, he didn't go that time. Well, time passed probably next year. I don't know how soon. But um, the same brother came to my dad and said, Wes, I believe that you should go. Mm, I don't know. And dad went, and sure enough, what happened? God spoke to him, and he said yes, and they spent their lives on the mission field in Peru. 
and doing a translation for the Bora Indians. They didn't have any language. They didn't have anything even written, nothing written at all. And so they had to make up the written language. They had to write it down. They had to do the dictionary and the, and the learn the grammar. They had to teach the, own, the, the same people the, the grammar. But the big thing they got to do was to do the New Testament in their language. Amen. So they were down there from 1951 until 2000 and something. And I was born down there. Amen. And some people say, well, you missed out on everything. Well, no, I would say you missed out on everything. Because it was a good life. It really was. It was, it was a great life. And, um, grew up on the Amazon, grew up floating down the Amazon at night in the dark, grew up running through the woods, uh, doing all kinds of stuff like that. So when we had the Josiah, and that's another story a little along the way, but, um, that was so familiar out that countryside, you know, the Josiah. I will tell Josiah is a big boat that AFCM provided for us, uh, put up, put up the finances. We built it there in Iquitos. We ran up and down the rivers on the Amazon, the Napo River, other rivers for like 15 years at raising up churches there. So yeah, I, I grew up on that. When I go to New York City, give me a guide, send somebody along. You know, I don't know what they have to carry there or guns or whatever, but I, I'm not familiar with that territory, but let me walk around the Amazon. I'm good. Amen. So it, 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 it was a whole different world, really. But um, went up, went to university at Oral Roberts University. My last year, I went to Mexico City one time with a missions team. The next missions team, we went down to El Paso, across the border to an orphanage. And that's where I met this beautiful lady. I picked her up at the orphanage, work, working at the orphanage, called already, and she knew after our, our courtship time running around there that if she married me, she would be going to Peru right away. I, I, didn't, get this, I didn't get this special call of the Lord. I think they're all special, but I didn't get one of those lightning bolt calls um, to go to missions. I got this thing where I grew up watching my mom and dad do just that and said, this is a good alternative lifestyle. As a matter of fact, the other alternative lifestyle, I really didn't know. You know, how to live in America, be a good American, American dream, and et cetera, et cetera, and be satisfied with those things that satisfy us in that. I learned to be satisfied with with the things that missionaries are satisfied with. Can you imagine that missionaries can be satisfied with certain things? Amen? But um, there's also a whole lot of difficulties. I think it's the same with everybody. But I, I listen to all of the, the, the gripes, if you want to say it that way. And, the you know, none of us are perfect. The, the hardships, the people that defraud you, the people that you thought were coming up and, and don't do so, and the, the different things. But I also heard them rejoice when so-and-so came to know the Lord, then I watched Dad lead him to the Lord in this meeting or at his little sales window or, or in different places like that. So when we got together, it was, um, I'm going back to Peru. I don't know if you want to come with me, basically, you know. 
if you're going to marry me, she knew that she was going to be going back to Peru. And she'll, I'm sure, tell a little bit about her story. But we, right after we were married, we went back to Peru and mom and dad were finishing. We actually had finished the translation of the New Testament and they were dedicating it. So we flew into Iquitos, the large city on the Amazon there at night. The next morning, they flew us out on a small plane, a helio courier, a small plane that can land in the middle of nowhere pretty much. And uh, we did the dedication of the New Testament. A great milestone for my mom and dad, but it was also wonderful to be, be there with them. We were the only ones of my family that were there. Um, I have six sisters, four of my sisters and their families and their legacy live with them here in Fresno, California area. And uh, another sister is in El Paso, Texas. And another one in Orlando working with Wycliffe Bible Translators. My sister in El Paso works in Peru with us when she can get down there. Um, not with us necessarily, but um, planting churches, working in churches down there in Iquitos. So anyway, we were married in El Paso. We went to Peru. We immediately started looking for what God had for us. And God had some things that were a little bit different than what we thought. As as the nature of the Lord is, a lot of times we don't know exactly what we're doing. I don't think Abraham knew where he was going, right, when God said go. But later on he figured it out. God spoke to him little by little, kind of kind of the way it is. Also, he trains us. You know, we went and we were working at a post in Pucallpa, Peru, where mom and dad, the Wycliffe Center was. And we worked there for five years. And basically it was our raising our kids down there. And... Training for us, learning how to do these things, learning how to disciple, learning how to to work with the local people. Even though I grew up there, you know, not in ministry. Mom and dad were in ministry. I wasn't in ministry so much there. But um, anyway, it was it was a, it's always been a, a great life. And the stories that we could tell, the uh, the books that we could write, and you know, we we kind of need to do that because the, some of the stories are just crazy and a lot of people say you're crazy or you you know just like pastor's story with us you know we need need to write that one but there's a whole lot of other things so we went down there during uh, like 10 years into our time down there we we left down there we had lots of issues in the country because we were in peru when terrorism was really bad and we had them marching through our camp. We had them shooting guns at night in the on the streets. And I was personally a basket case. You know what that means? An emotional mess. Useless. And sometimes we can be there but have hope because God works for, with basket cases. Amen? He fixes basket cases. He helps us to get where we can be useful to him. If we seek and follow him, uh, I was I was in so much fear over all that stuff that I, I could not function. We left, went to the States. My sister recommended a, a pastor minister who ministered and dealt with the fear issue in my heart and other things. And we have since lived in those kinds of circumstances. But the fear has not been the same. Amen. God took my basket away. So. You know, so that we could walk, so that we could function, so that we can be a help and do our part in this world. Amen?
during that time that we came back to the States, got ministered to, went to that mission, the mission school. Um, part of the mission school program was, okay, what is your vision? What is it that God wants you? What do you feel like God wants you to do in this life? That's kind of a big question, right? We could put the question out for you like that. Say, what is it that God wants you to do in life for him? You know, and we, but we had to decide. We had to determine and give them an answer. Pray about it. Fast. Pray. You know, get the thing. And we had this vision for working down there in Iquitos, in the in the Amazon area. That's where mom and dad had worked with the Boda Indians, was uh, uh, 100 miles down the Amazon and then up into a smaller river. Right up close to the Canadian, the Colombian border. And so, you know, we had in our heart to minister to those people out there. And God showed us, inclusive, God showed us also that, um, this picture of a big steel boat during that time there. And during that time, we met Jim Caseman. How many of you know Jim Caseman? Some of you know Jim Caseman? Don't know Jim yet. Okay, Jim is the, our president, pastor of AFCM that we're associated with, along with Bernie and family. And and um, we met him there. We met him at the at the mission school. He was on the board for the missions, one of the teachers. And then when we went back to Peru, lo and behold, he was in Peru with the pastor that we were working with during that time. God has His way of doing things. Amen. And so we got out, we went up the river in this little wooden boat. The pastor that we were working with, Pastor Jose, had this little wooden boat that he rented to take up there. And we had the outboard motor, a little 45 horsepower Johnson motor. And we took everybody up river. And when we got up there to the place, they were starting to minister and everything else. And we, I, I went out and checked and I was, my job was to take the boat back down river with one of the, the Peruvians. And go and receive them on the other side of the isthmus. They were going to walk across to this river. We were pick them up, bring them back down. Well, I didn't have enough gasoline. I looked at it and said, mm, we're not going to motor home to Iquitos with this amount of gas. So we, I said, uh, I'm going to have to leave early. I'm going to leave at, da- at dark so that I can be there tomorrow morning so that I can buy more gas so that I can pick you guys up at the time that you want to be picked up. And... Uh, so, not having enough gas to get down, it was down the Amazon River uh, in the dark. But, that, like I said, I grew up doing that, so that is no big deal. And um, turned the, turn the motor off because I didn't have enough gas and floated all night long. Floating down the Amazon all night long to get there. And got there, was able to go get the gas, go pick him up and do all that. And, and I told Jim what happened, Jim Caseman, and Jim Caseman said... I think God is telling me that we can help you do a better thing than that. You wet, you floated down the river. You do what you have to do, you know, when you're out there on the mission field. How wide the river is. How do I give you an idea? Um, half a mile. Some places. I mean, I can, I can, you know, in the dark, the trees on that side look about this tall. Does that, does that help? When you're on this bank here, you see the trees and just a big old dark thing. And then on that side, you can see the trees like that. That's the way we reference it a lot when we drove the Josiah. Hence, coming to the Josiah, we were down there. Jim said, I think that we could do better for you. And long story short, 
because it is kind of a long story, but we wound up uh, being the ones to build the Josiah. The Josiah project was a double-decker, 60-foot steel boat um, built in Iquitos. I, I contracted a boat builder there. And uh, they sent in the finances, and we built up the boat. They came down several times to see how it was going. And we christened it the Josiah after Dana and Liz's son, who had passed away from Siberia. Some may know that story a little bit from their time. Um, but they were part of the missions, and we they christened it Josiah. And so during that time, we started out... Um, Operating the Josiah. The Josiah looked just like that picture that we put in a newsletter that we had put out 10 years before from our mission school experience. Amen? Well, you know, I'm cutting corners a little bit because I know I'm running out of time already so fast, but um, we had built a wooden boat. What does the Bible say? It says, uh, if you're faithful and little... Then you'll be faithful in much, you know, something like that, right? Amen. You, Bernie said that I don't have to speak the word, so you guys know the word of God here. So if you're faithful in little, well, we, where are we going to build a big boat like that? We had a few ensuing years in, in between there like that where Jim was like talking about it with the people here in the States, the churches and whatnot. And so we built a wooden boat, the Jubilee, and we traveled up and down the Amazon River. We were down, had just done a successful seminar with the Bora Indian Village where Dad and Mom had finished. Came down the river and my inboard diesel out of a pickup truck had uh, thrown the belt. The belt broke, so it jammed my valves, and so that was the end of that. I had an outboard motor. So I went and bought all the gasoline that I could and took the motor to a, a mechanic because it wasn't running good. And he had the, the outboard motor running good so that we could head back home 100 miles up the Amazon River. And uh, so we started out, I believe it was a Sunday, right? Started out, we were cruising along in order with, a, with that m- little speedboat with the outboard motor tied onto the side of this wooden boat. This wooden boat was like 55 feet long and 10 feet wide. It was, it was our home. We had built it up. My dad had helped us build it up. But with that, we had to run inside the the water along the Amazon, backwater. So if you run in the current of the Amazon, we weren't going to get anywhere fast. We just somebody else got a paddle or something, and 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 we couldn't do anything. So what you do? As you as you go in next to shore, so you go in next to shore, and the water when it hits the bank comes up. It works its way upriver, and then it just kind of circulates there. So we were running in the backwaters, and you get moving along pretty good, cruising along good, and then you and then you're back in you're back next to shore again to go. Well, there is one potential danger we found out. Um, we found out that there are logs under there too. So we were cruising along eating Sunday lunch and a log came through the bottom of the boat, wooden boat. A log came through the bottom of the boat and so it was like it started flooding in there and she hollered, give me some sheets off of that bed, give me some blankets, some towels, some whatever. Because, you know, we jumped down in there and trying to plug the boat up so we wouldn't sink totally. And uh, 
tour boat, you know, the, the, the local people have tour boats, and the tour boats um, came along, sent somebody in to help us. They helped us finish to get the thing from, you know, leaking and helped us bail out the water. And they said, we don't know if you're going to sink or swim, so we'll take your wife and your daughters. And that we had a pastor's wife along with us. And and they left and went home to Iquitos. We were 100 miles down the Amazon with the local pastor who was with me. Anyway, we got a bunch of clay, and we took it in the boat, and we hooked up, made sure the motor was going good, and we started after him. took us 24 hours to get home, and we couldn't sleep because one of us had to keep mashing clay on the on the, the wound in the bottom of the boat. But... Doing what you do to be faithful to the Lord until the Lord comes through. Amen. And so it wasn't a whole long. I had to let that die. I had to let that die. That was hard. We had built it up. Um, the, the hole wasn't good. And then Jim came back. We saw his newsletter. He was going to build a boat in Rhode Island and put it on a boat, ship it down up the Amazon into there. And it was going to be one of those little lake boats, those party boats. Twin pontoons, a little thing like that. We said, should we tell Jim that he could make it there in Iquitos? And um, we decided to. We called him when we got to Miami. We were coming on the States. Called him and got to Miami. He says, Jim, do you know that you could have a boat built in Iquitos and it would be the kind of boat that you really want? Make it like you want it? You know, and that kind of thing. He says, really? Can you come talk to me? So we went and talked to him. Long story short, we we... Uh, back where we were, we built the, jo- the, jo- the Josiah, a big double-decker, twin caterpillar diesel, uh, awesome boat, just like the one that we had dreamt of to- going up and down the Amazon River. Amen? So, our time in Peru, our ministry in Peru with AFCM, um, we would take that the Josiah. One time we went out there with our girls and went up river, came out back two, three weeks later. And the girls came back and got back involved in the local church that we had started in Iquitos. And they said, we don't want to go with you. Uh, put a dagger in our heart. This is what we're called to do, and you don't want to go with us? So you're going to hate going when we tell you, you know, we're going to go out in the rivers again? But God gave us wisdom, and he said, you, your boat's big enough? Take all the church with you, all the youth in the church. So that's what we wind up doing for the whole season, those 15 years of, of going and coming. The youth of the church, we would get them. We got a bunch of these um, equipment, what do you call it, stuff, dramas. They have some of these awesome dramas that the kid, the, the youth did the dramas. The youth did the praise and worship. The youth did the, the one-on-one ministry to the people out in the rivers. The youth did all kinds of stuff, and our daughters didn't have any problem at all. Because we took all of their friends along with us. It was an awesome ministry, awesome time. And pretty much I was happy to get a chance to preach once in a while because they were there ready to go. And, you know, my heart's always been train them up and, and turn them loose. So we traveled up and down the Amazon River and the Napo River and the Tapiche River and other rivers for 15 years evangelizing. We would go out with a, a speedboat. And the Josiah, or sometimes two and three other speedboats that we would drag along with us, 
and evangelize. Depending on the size of the team we had, we had teams from AFCM come down on the Josiah with us. We would go out. We would spend, you know, a whole week or 10 days out there evangelizing in uh, a village or two or three every night. The speedboat would go. We would park at a certain place where we were going to go. The speedboat would go across the river to another town. And we'd go and talk to the headman, the school teacher, and say, can we come here? We have our little generator. We have drama. We have music. We have stuff. We want to throw a party for the people in town. Um, will you have us? And they, they would always say yes, almost always say yes. One time they just about threw us out of there, but for other reasons. Um, but <laughs> we would go. The, the speedboat would stay there. They would put up the little, the little generator, put the lights up in the schoolhouse. Everybody would come, and we would evangelize the people. We would do the same thing in the village where we were or upriver or downriver along the, along the rivers there. And little by little, we evangelized with the Josiah in like 200 different villages. And we didn't get a church built in all of those villages, but we, but we uh, were able to start after a while, what we did was we would do the evangelism in a set of 15 or 20 villages on one trip with the teams. And then we told them, we promised them, we will be back in this village on this date. Be there because we're going to teach the word of God. And so we would come in with the Josiah. Sometimes we didn't have to use the Josiah. We went in a speedboat. We would send a team, but we always would go for two, three days and, and do the Bible teaching. And after a period of time... It would come to the point where we we would um, talk to those who would rise to the surface, those who would be coming faithfully to every meeting, those who were, you know, you could see the spiritual growth in their lives, the, the commitment, the different things like that. And so we say, can you start, just start a small group here, start a small group in your village. So by doing that and encouraging them and coming back and, and encouraging them to be at the next meeting, um, we were able to raise up 60 churches during those years out there along the rivers. So, you know, it's we had a system. God gave us a system, a strategy. It's not that, you know, maybe that we did so much and, you know, raising, raising up a church is a hard thing. And, and uh, we did that also in Iquitos. But these other churches were like, we raised up the people. We discipled the people who were going to raise up the church. And that's what we continue to do. That's what we continue to do. The, the Josiah, there was a downturn in 2008 around there that um, I'm not sure what you would call it here. It was an economic downturn. And so some of the finances that we had coming in like that um, were not available. We didn't have the money. Let's put it that way. So you know how when you have money, you grow into the money in your in your staff and your stuff like that. So we had to grow out of that, and that's always a hard season. But usually it's a time where God changes our direction. He says, I have another job for you. I have something else for you, and you need to examine. We were like her mom and daddy, and I'll let her share this story, but her mom and daddy had started an orphanage in, in Honduras, wanted us to come. We said, uh-uh we got too much going on in Peru. How are we going to do that? And so, um, but we need, the Lord challenged us and said, we had a president almost elected one year who was part with Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. And we said, in our minds, we knew that he threw out missionaries wholesale. 
And I was like, what would they do if they threw out missionaries in Peru? Well, we're Peruvians. We're Peruvian citizens. But either way, we're white gringo Peruvian citizens. And so we thought, well, what would be the better thing? We really need to help these people be independent, indigenous, work where they can continue to do the work without us being there, if that would become the the situation. So we worked on some things. And one of those was that they're not going to be able to operate to Josiah. It was expensive to operate. We need these teams coming on a regular basis. You know, we have to have these teams. So it's like, okay, what we wound up doing was selling to Josiah. So that they could, they could do the work in their little boats. They call their little boats pecky peckies. Can you imagine why they would call them pecky peckies? Because when they go up the river, they go pecky 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 pecky. So little little boats with long tails on them. You've seen some in in Asia and stuff like that. These are little nine horsepower. Most of them are sometimes varies a little bit. The little long tail on them. And they go picky, 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 picky up the road. Don't cost much. Real easy to fix. They can operate that. They can do the work of the ministry with that. But the Josiah sat. We didn't have the finances to run it. Had to change all kinds of things with that. I just want to share one. I do have enough time to share one small. Pastor Dana and Liz were pastoring over there on the beach in South Carolina. And they had their ITC group. Their Bible school group, the requirement was that they go on a mission school trip. So we, we, uh, they came to Peru for their mission school requirement, their missions outreach requirement for the, the graduates of the school. So Liz came down. Dana didn't come down that time. So we had, had a trip. One of our seminars, we actually did two seminars on that trip, right? So the team came in a little bit later. We had the Josiah upriver already in one port. And when we got done with that seminar, we were going to go upriver to another location and do another seminar with the people. And uh, the team came in a little bit later. Turned out they came in a little bit too later. So we had a speedboat down in, in Masan. It's about an hour down by speedboat from Iquitos. But they came a little bit later than we thought they were, so we had to really quick try to get down there. We got down there. We left pretty late to go. We, we were going to go up, up in the speedboat up to, remember the name of the town that we were going to. Um, and I had calculated the gasoline and everything else. So we got in the speedboat. I had a young man who was going to be my light guy. What do you call it? Spotlight for the nighttime. So we took off. Wonder what great. The motor worked great the whole time. We were we were going up river. I know the river like the back of my hand. We were cruising along and it just took longer than we thought. So it got dark. And my young man Jair was running the spotlight and he was checking out alligators more than checking out the the river, you know, the next place to go and stuff like that. And my light ran out. My spotlight ran out. So um I still know the river. I know the bends. I know it in the dark. I know it in the daytime. So I just kept cruising up river. At one point, I was a little bit doubtful because I even had a GPS on my hand, in, in my hand. So I had the little GPS, and it was getting dark. It was getting kind of late, and I knew we were getting close. But my GPS was showing that the place we were going was behind us. It was like, I know we didn't pass Negrurco. I know we didn't pass Negrurco. What's the deal? So I went to shore and asked these guys with a little little lamp on their, you know, in their houses. 
Buenas noches. ¿Dónde está Negrurco? Where's Negrurco? Oh, it says, oh, it's up the bend. You go around the bend and it's way back there. It's back there, but it's around on the other side of the bend. You're going up river still. Anyway, long story short, we got up to the place where we could see the Josiah. It was like midnight, almost midnight. It was raining. They were cold in the boat. They were like, on the Amazon, cold? Are you kidding? They were cold. And we we got to there, and I tried to drive the boat through, and I could not get through. I was hitting sandbars constantly. So I was like, uh, okay, how are we going to get over there? The lights are right over there. And that's where they wanted to be. That's where supper was. That's where get warm was. That's, you know, that's where the bed was. And so it's like, okay, I know this area. There is an island. The river gets, the river does all kinds of islands. You know, it breaks through here, goes down behind, it breaks through here again. So you have to know those, those things in the day and the night. And so I said, I know that there's another way. I go back down river, which nobody wanted to go back down river and not see those lights anymore. We went back down river, we turned in and we went up the island. We call it the island, La Isla. So we cruised up there, and sure enough, we found the Josiah up there on that side. That was the deep water. So um, they were so happy. Amen? And I don't think I have time to tell the whole rest of the story because I wanted it to have time. But um, we lived that life. We loved that life. It was an awesome time. It was a lot of challenges. That same trip, we had all kinds of things go on. We went into places where I got there before my contact person got there and they they were afraid of the American European. Um, what's it called? Face peelers, they would call us face peelers. The little green and white boat was the face peelers because they had a, a history from way back where there were Americans and Europeans that would actually catch the natives Burn them and, and, and boil them down for oil and use them in oil and stuff like that. I really don't think it was true, but we got this one little village one time and I beat the, the my contact person who was going to tell them that no, we're the good guys. And so they were out. The women were in the, in the school building there, but there were no men there. And I asked them, where's the men? Well, the men are in the darkness with their shotguns. Just kind of waiting to see what you're going to do. So it was like, okay, tell them that we are not face dealers. See, check us out. We don't have any guns. We don't have any knives. We don't have anything. One time we were on the river and uh, I wasn't on board, but Jorge and one of the young, one young man was on board and they were ministering as they came down river. And they came with a boat full, a pecky pecky full of, of people with sticks and stones and machetes. I don't know if there were any shotguns with them, said, okay, you guys are the face dealers. Get out of here. And Jorge said, are you ridiculous? This is the 19th century, 20th century. You know, what's with you? Well, all these stories. And and so they said, okay, if we're face dealers, we've got to have all of our stock down in, in the bottom of the boat, right? In freezers or in vats or in whatever. So, two of you, two of you, not 50 of you, but two of you, come. And you can search the boat from top to bottom. Look the boat over everywhere, down in all the holes, under the engines. We had lots of hold space down underneath there. And 
and so they did, and they found nothing. And and so they went away embarrassed. And and the other. We found out who who had planted that word in the neighborhood was a um, jealous pastor from a church in the area. Anyway, I could tell hours of stories, but you don't have time for that. But you know what? We had a mission. We have something to do. We have a purpose. We would love to have your prayers because we, the Peruvians, we didn't make it there to do our vote like we're supposed to. But they, we, they voted in a communist president for Peru. Who knows Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro from Venezuela, from the guy from Bolivia, the guy from Ecuador. It's, it's a big thing. So pray for us so that we know what we should do, how exactly we should do these meetings, how we can help our local people to be prepared for what's coming. Help us to know what is coming so that we can, you know, do all that kind of stuff. So we really, that's our work in Peru. We have a local church, lots of other stories, lots of other things going on. But we go down there and encourage them, help them, try to give them a system of stuff that they have these visits. It's not easy to circuit ride there because they don't have phones. They, they, we can't get to them easy. They're six hours upriver on a speedboat and all that kind of stuff. So we appreciate your affirmation of coming alongside and helping us out. And, and, uh, thank you. And I can talk for hours, but I just waste. So would you please come up in it? Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Ron shared the story of his parents with you, so I'm going to try to do this really quick. Um, my mom was uh, uh, born in Illinois, and uh, she had um, a mother that was uh, not a very good mom. She, uh, My grandfather married a girl from the wrong side of the track, so to speak, and she was a lady of the evening. He thought he could uh, change her, and he couldn't. And so she was very unfaithful. He left her with um, two children, and my mom was the second. And uh, she was only three. Her older brother was five. And uh, she would be taken into hotel rooms and bars and set up on counters and uh, uh, witness things as a two- and three-year-old that they should not witness. And um, what happened is one day uh, somebody gave them some poison candy. And her older brother died and she lived. So she was put in an orphanage together with her baby sister who was only a year old for a time period until her dad, her real dad, uh, had remarried and came back and adopted them. So she lived with pretty much not a whole lot of uh, love uh, shown to her. Uh, her dad never said, I love you. Um, but he did his duty of taking care of her until she was 18. So she she lived with those scars of, of being um, a, a child, an orphan on the streets. And so uh, when she was 16, she accepted the Lord in a church camp. And uh, uh, she felt like the Lord had called her to missions. Well, she um, went to college, married my dad, who is Catholic. And um, he, as a very young child, had an experience with God on a little beach up in Oregon. Uh, out by the river, he was building a sandcastle of a church for some reason. 
and he was building little pews and little steeple and everything. And his brother that was with him, he says, oh, who's going to preach in your church? And he rose up. He said, I am. And he said, the presence of God hit him as a small child. And he knew that God was going to have him preach to the nations. And um, so he didn't follow God. He was Catholic, didn't follow God until he was in his 40s when we all came to know the Lord. I was raised Catholic. Um, I had a very similar experience when I was a young child, about seven years old. I was in a big Catholic church, and I was awed by the greatness of God. And I said, God, I just want to serve you. And, and I felt at that moment that God said, okay, I, will, I want you to serve me. So I went home, and I told my dad, Daddy, I'm going to serve God. He said, oh, you're going to be our little nun. And of course, as a Catholic, that's what you would do, right? So he bought me this little nun doll. He's my pride and joy. And, um, and as, you know, as the years went on and life got really complicated, we left church, and life got really complicated, very worldly, you know, just all kinds of problems and situations. And at 18, I uh, had a radical salvation experience. And uh, um, I just, I, I knew that this was what I had been created for. And so that first year of knowing God, I just loved God. I just wanted to be in his presence. I All I did was read the word and pray practically. And so I developed a very good ear to hear Holy Spirit. And we had gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And so um, our, our, my, my life, after a year, I just felt I had an actual vision. I had a vision of the jungle. I didn't know it was the jungle. I had a vision in prayer where I was flying over the tops of these trees. And I got to a body of water, and I said, Lord, what is this that you're showing me at 19? He said, there are people that are crying out to me from this place to know me. And I just began to cry and weep. I said, Lord, I don't know where this place is, but I'll go. I did not know a missionary. I didn't know what a missionary was. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know where this place was. But it was the Amazon jungle of Peru. So I just began to prepare myself as a young person. I went to Bible school. I got um, child evangelism fellowship training. I learned how to teach kids. I learned how to do beach ministry and evangelize. And um, at, uh, at 21, I ended up in... Uh, in Mexico, uh, working at an orphanage. I was a full-time missionary. And my husband came to the orphanage that I was working at. And he began to talk about Peru and how wonderful Peru was. And I'm sorry, I know I'm getting so emotional here. And, um, and, and he began to say, you know, this, this beautiful place that he was in love with and that God had put on his heart to return to. And I knew that this is what God had planned. You know, from our, our birth, that and even our conception that God had planned for us to be together. And um, so we got married when we were 23, and two weeks after we got married, we went to Peru to his parents' um, uh, dedication of their New Testament. You heard the story from Ron, so I won't go into that. And so we landed in Peru two weeks after we got married. I got on a little Cessna airplane the next day, uh, like Ron said, and we flew over the tops of the jungles, and that was my vision. And I knew this is what God had for me. I said, I'll be here the rest of my life. It was like destiny hitting you in the face. And, you know, God has a story for each one of us. And that's, you know, that's our story. But God has a story, and each one of you know your story. And God is working that each one of us fulfill that destiny that he has for us. And so um, after we'd been working in the mission field for, you know, 30 years or so, uh, my mom and dad, my uh, 
they were called. They didn't go for a long, long time. They continued in business. My dad was a very successful life insurance salesman. And when he was 63, he retired. They went to language school. They Once they got saved, they began to work in children's ministry. They did a lot of short-term ministry over. They've gotten, they went to Honduras. They went to Mexico. But when they went to Honduras and the short-term missions team with their church, uh, Daddy said, I'll be back someday. To start an orphanage in this place. He saw the children in the streets. It was, and, and just the, the, the big need and his heart just went out. He had had some different experiences, encounters with God when he was in the Navy of, um, you know, uh, God just showing him the children there and he just, uh, weeping and saying, God, I, I, I want, I want to feed your children someday. And he had this experience with God when he was just a young Catholic army man, um, Navy man. And, he, and, and God said, you will, Jim, you will. And so years later, you know, no, no, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Though you may have thought that, you know, God is done with you or you didn't answer God's call, you know, when you were younger, God still has that call in your life. So when Daddy was 63, they retired. They went to language school. And at 65, he became a full-time missionary. So they went to Honduras not knowing anybody and just went by faith, packed their bags and went, rented an apartment and just began, God just began to give them divine contacts. They purchased land, did paperwork with the government and started an orphanage. Now, when my dad was on the land building the orphanage together with teams that would come down before they ever had any kids, he would be running the saws and he would hear laughter. He would hear the children laughing and he would turn off his saw to and he turned around to see if he could find children, and they weren't there. They were just in the spirit. They were waiting. They were waiting for this place. And um, our, our, our mission statement at New Life Children's Home is expressing the heart of Father God to rescue children and restore families. And um, so my parents obeyed God, and uh, they, started, they started with children. And um, after they had been working there and developing children, they had 35 children, and they began to talk to us. And they said, Annette, you're the only one of our kids that speaks Spanish. You guys have to come take this orphanage over. The years were going by. They were getting up in age. And um, we were like, Daddy, we can't. We're too busy here, like Ron said. And he said, well, come and see us. Come and visit us. We went to Peru to visit you. Come and visit us. And so we did. We went to Honduras. We stayed for three weeks. And, of course, we're pastors and, and, and church planters. And, you know, orphanage work was a whole lot different. And we went back home going, we are so glad we are not called to orphanage work. That is hard stuff. Well, the story goes on. Um, Ron, uh, God begins to challenge Ron, will your mission, if you were not here, would your mission survive? So he started a a three-year plan of turning things over to our our local uh, pastors in Peru, and we were able to go to Honduras. Um, And my dad was 81 when he turned it over to us. And we had a lot of changes to make, um, and uh, the school, we had a, a full-blown school, but we needed to get a lot more focused on, on Christian principles, and, and my parents did a great job with what they knew and what they could do. Their language was limited. We were totally fluent, and um, so we were able to make some changes. We added a lot more kids. We got up to 51 kids, and so... Over the past 10 years, we've done a lot of different things. And um, some of our kids have graduated from high school, gone on, and, and uh, some are in college now. So we've, we've had to 
develop our ministry to where it's not just rescuing children, taking care of high-risk children, that um, their parents are not, either they don't have parents or at least one parent or somebody is not able to take care for them because of, you know, uh, you know, XYZ reasons, and um, they came to new life. And we believe that every child that God brought to new life has a purpose and that they had a destiny. So we begin to teach them their destiny, teach them things about God, and teach them how to have victory over that orphan spirit. Now, I'm going to talk about the orphan spirit in just a few minutes um, before we end. Um, but we have developed the ministry now into several different ministries. So the the social services of Honduras um, have told us that 95% of children that leave children's homes go straight into the gangs because they have no foundation. Or they have no place to go after the children's home. And um, we said, that's not going to happen with us. It's not going to happen on our watch. We know that the kids that are at New Life Children's Home were handpicked by God. They have a destiny to fulfill, and we're going to see them fulfill that destiny. So we did everything they could, and a lot of them came with um, handicaps. Um, we had a Down syndrome child. We had an autistic girl. Uh, we had different situations, a lot of um, academic uh, problems, uh, special ed and uh, education and different things, and dyslexia and just and different things because of their their upbringing. Most of them were, were conceived in poverty, alcoholism, drugs, you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, so they had some challenges. We had some very bright children as well. And so... Um, our focus is to bring in trading, trades to help them discover their abilities, their, their giftings, their likes. We have some now, uh, we have transition ministry. So after they graduate from high school, uh, they can go to Tegucigalpa. We have a boy's uh, house and a girl's house. And if they want to go to trade schools or college, then we help them in that process. We have now uh, one, uh, one, one of our girls actually graduated from college, is now studying her master's in, um, in social work. She actually returned to her mom, and uh, her mom has helped her uh, work through college. But we have a girl that's in our transition home. It's about ready to graduate in about a year from graphic design. We have a couple that are uh, studying um, uh, – one is studying bookkeeping, another is studying um, business administration. Two, three, actually, they're studying law, two general law, and one uh, export-import law. Uh, we have uh, – Two of our girls, one of them is the autistic girl, uh, and her sister are studying cosmetology. Um, and so just God is just helping us set these kids on a path where they fulfill their destiny. And it's not just, hey, 18, uh, you, we had a good life here for 18 years. Now you can go figure out your life. And so that's our heart is to really see them change the country, be changers. We also have... Um, so social services doesn't want to give us any more children because they want to have children in foster care or small group homes, not in larger institutions such as ours. So uh, what we've done since our kids are graduating and we're not getting any more uh, as far as that goes permanently from social services, they may give us a child temporarily where until that we can get them back into their home. So we've been able to re, um, reintegrate some of our children back into their homes, which has been super, uh, super exciting uh, to help the families walk it out and get to that place where they can have their children back. Um, others, we have 25 children from the surrounding community that are very poor situations where they cannot study. So we've given them scholarships 
um, to be able to study. And they're so thankful and so grateful. And the parents are, are just so helpful. Um, many of them are, are raised by, um, by parents that are just, um, agriculture workers just that work on the farms in the area and bring in very little or raised by a mom, a single parents, most of them, or raised by grandparents or there's illness or something. And so we do a study on their lives and their homes and, and see if they qualify for a scholarship. So we have a whole bunch more people around the area that want to join us and want to come into our school system next year. Um, but, you know, God is working. God is at work. And he's, he's changing a culture. And he's he's changing, um, uh, you know, a, a nation at one through one child at a time. And so um, I I've got two things to share with you before we finish. One thing is um, I have a prophetic word for this church, and it's something that um, the Lord started when I was in Honduras this summer. Um, and I didn't realize what I had done it for. I'm, uh, the Lord's been giving me some prophetic art, and uh, so I painted this picture. And I didn't know that it was going to be for this church until this weekend. But I want before I, I, I show you the painting, I want to, uh, and before I give you the prophetic word that I have, I want to um, refer to uh, Pastor's book, Pastor Janice and Bernie's book, um, What Always Precedes a Major Move of God. And it's because of your heart for America. Um, I'm uh, born and, and bred in America. I, I, I love America. Uh, we would not be missionaries if it weren't for America. And um, we know that America has a destiny. And so I want to speak into that, uh, into this church in, in a prophetic way and to encourage each one of you in your own life. And just as we started the service, the Lord just continued to confirm it. As you declared over America, your your faith stands. And then as Pastor Dave, you know, talked about America and, 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 the, and, and, and Egypt and coming out of Egypt and the Red Sea crossing and, and how each one of you are coming through personal issues. I want you to take this as a personal prophetic word as well as a congregational word. I believe that God has you stationed in this area for a divine purpose. And just as just as we were called for a divine purpose, you are called for a divine purpose. So I'm just going to read from chapter 7 from Pastor um, Janice and, and Bernie's book. And he, record, he talks about a, a prophecy that he gave, uh, he, he received in year 2000 from his journal. He's read. He said, The Lord, as I pray in the Holy Ghost and sharpen my spirit to be sensitive to the leadings and promptings, I believe I'm sensing this. This wave will be twofold, multifaceted. Part of this move, which you're talking about the move of God in America, Right? Part of this move will be judgment, serious judgment. I will not be mocked any longer by the people and leaders of this nation. I founded and pioneered this nation for my glory to proclaim the good news of salvation through my son. I've been sneered at and jeered at long enough. The time is rapidly coming, even at the door. There is a price to pay for sin and unrighteousness and unholy living, especially among my people. See that you always stay on the righteous side of me when I begin to move through America there will be no doubt from the greatest to the least that it is I, the Almighty One. Hallelujah. But on the other hand, part of my move will be to judge and then to bless and reward holiness and righteous living. It will also, will also be just as obvious and plain to see from the greatest to the least among you. And I just want to encourage you. 
on an individual basis and as a congregation, God sees your faithfulness. He sees your faith. He sees your prophetic prayers. He sees what you are doing. And today, he wants to show you in a visual uh, sense um, a promise that he has made. And he wants to show you that he is not forgetting that he may be delaying, but is soon. It is soon. It is very soon. Can you just say that with me? It is very soon that God is going to begin to act, and this congregation will be greatly rewarded. So, Ronnie, can you hand me that painting, please? I know pastors have already seen this. They did not know what I was going to do with this. So this is the painting. This is a prophetic sign to you as a body of Christ. It's called Liberty for America. The Statue of Liberty, America, is coming through her Red Sea. He's coming through her Red Sea. And this church is coming through the Red Sea. You individually, you're coming through your Red Sea. God is opening doors. He's opening mirrors. He's performing signs and wonders. And please, I just feel this urgency and just the heart of God for this body. That God is saying, I am so proud of you. And you are part of that great end time revival. And you must not waver in your faith. He will reward your faith. He is not unfaithful. He is not unjust to not reward your faith. And so this is a sign to you that this is what God is doing. And he's using this church to help part those waters. So, pastors, I just want to present this painting to you. And um, I just bless the Lord uh, for the privilege of being able to do that for this congregation. And I want to, um, on the back table, you will see um, some some art prints. Uh, this is actually, this artist is a marvelous artist. And she's actually um, the mother-in-law of my nephew. And she said, she talked to me, she says, Annette, I have such a heart for children. She said, I want to help you at New Life Children's Home. She said, why don't you look on my website and choose some of my paintings, and I will send them to you free. And then you do a fundraiser with them, and you sell them, and all the proceeds can go to New Life. And so this is, uh, I only have ten, ten prints left. And so um, please check out the back table and give an offering to New Life and then take a print home with you. And so that's pretty much what will happen with that. Also on the back table, I have a book that I wrote called Healing Wounded Hearts, Repairing Broken Lives. And we've had an opportunity to do a lot of that. Uh, heal broken hearts and repair uh uh, heal, heal wounded hearts and repairing broken lives. And we've done that a lot with our children. I just want to read um, one section out of this, and then we'll close. But in dealing with orphans, uh, we've come up against uh, a wicked spirit. It's called the orphan spirit. And this spirit doesn't just attack orphans. It attacks many of us who even live in homes where we have parents. 
but it, 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 it attacks your identity. It tells you that you don't have anybody that loves you. You don't have anybody that protects you. And so we've, we've dealt with this for the past 10 years. We've dealt with it longer than that, but especially the past 10 years, we've had to deal with this in the lives of these children that were abandoned under bridges, left in homes, locked, and mothers gone away at one and two years old to fend for themselves. Four days later, they were found by neighbors because the mom had uh, gone out partying and gotten put in jail. So we've had children that were very rejected and, and left alone. And I just want to read from my book called The Orphan Spirit, this one section. It says, when you feel and act like an orphan in life, you live in survival mode, struggling and rebelling against anything that feels like a threat. Some of you will relate. I know I related in different times in my life. Fear and a lack of identity fill your thoughts and feelings. You don't know who you are or where you are going in life. The feeling of abandonment is overwhelming and opens doors to depression, oppression, and even suicide. Through the power of the word, you can discover who you are and what God's purpose is for your life. Holy Spirit brings healing and deliverance to your inner man as you believe the truth and speak and declare the promises of God into your heart. You have authority to command every evil deposit of the orphan spirit to leave your soul and bind the spirit of adoption to your mind, your will, and emotions. This is absolutely essential to walk in victory over darkness. So in my book, I teach on releasing dark deposits from your life. Now, there may be somebody here today that says, wow, that sounds like me. Sounds like me that I, even though maybe I've accepted the Lord, maybe you haven't accepted the Lord. Maybe you haven't gotten to that point. But you just say, I feel so lonely. I feel like I'm an orphan in a world where everything is a threat. And I feel so fearful. You know, and if you feel that way, if that's you today, I want to just pray with you. Because the word of God gives us the power and the authority. To take that, that deposit of, of, an, of that orphan spirit that is lodged in our mind and in our emotions. And take the name of Jesus and command it out. To get out of our soul. And to release. It's just like having a deposit of something in the pages of our soul. Our soul is very similar to a book with different layers. And so we can have dark traumas, fears, things that have happened. That's what happened to my husband. I was so fearful at that one time because we had terrorism all around us. From the time he was a little boy, he was very fearful. He had a deposit of fear that was stuck in the pages of his soul. Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you've been abused. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't got to that point where you say, Jesus, I need you yet. But I want to invite you today to pray with me. It's a very easy and simple exercise. It's an act of your will. Where you say, I choose. It's an act of my will. By the authority of the word of God. By the authority of the name of Jesus. And I command that fear out of my life. 
I command that orphan spirit out of my life. I command that suicidal and thought, and I command the addiction out of my life. Addictions are just a deposit in your soul. And I'm going to teach more about that tonight. I'm going to talk about the anointing that breaks the yoke tonight. So don't miss tonight. Please come. And um, before we pray, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. But do it with all your heart. If there is someone here that says, you know, I really don't know Jesus. I haven't really committed all of my heart to him. Or, or I, I've really left. I've really backslidden. And I want to renew my life. And I, re- I really am tired of having this orphan spirit chase me down and make me feel miserable. Make me feel alone and depressed. If that's you, I want to pray. Because the God is going to fill you with the spirit of adoption. Where you can cry, Abba, Father. Will you close your eyes with me today? Will you pray this prayer? Holy Father. Say this with me. Holy Father. I come to you this morning. With a heart open wide. And I ask you to fill me with a spirit of adoption. I command the orphan spirit with fear and loneliness, depression, every type of addiction out of my soul. And I ask, Father, that you would fill me. In Jesus' name. Just lift your hands to heaven. Just let him fill you with that spirit of adoption. Let him fill you with his love. Let him fill you with his peace. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Just feel a sweet spirit here in this place. There's an anointing here. An anointing that breaks the yoke of oppression off your life. Thank you, Jesus. I just see chains that are dropping off. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I I hear in the spirit doors that are slamming to your past. You may have had a really awful past and I just hear the Holy Spirit slamming the door saying no more no more trauma no more orphan spirit that God is delivering you from that right now so just take a deep breath thank you Jesus thank you Lord release your anointing in this place Thank you, Lord, for healing and deliverance. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.